This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Gusto, modern, easy payroll benefits for small businesses across the country. And because you're a listener, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. Find out at gusto.com slash tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Tanya Katan. She is an award-winning author, public speaker, playwright, and creativity expert. She's also written a book that we're going to talk about today called Creative Trespassing, How to Spark, wait, How to Put Spark and Joy Back in your life. So Tanya, thanks for joining us. A pleasure, John. And thanks for, thanks for making a mistake right off the bat. I I'm not I'm not be, I'm being totally sincere. I think that that's part of the the nature of creative trespassing, which is making, you know, beautiful mistakes and realizing that's where we learn how to be creative souls in the world. So, thank you. Uh, you're welcome and as my listeners will know, I do not edit those out <laughs> either. <laughs> that's great. So, if we're going to talk about creative trespassing, I'm guess there is such a beast as a creative trespasser. What does that person look like? <laughs> I don't know if beast is the right adjective, but I appreciate it. Uh, a creative trespasser, in my esteem, is someone who is willing to take risks, to make mistakes, and to embrace all of their flaws and scars and awkwardness, knowing that those are the places where our real superpowers lie. And so as somebody who's worked an, an entire life personally and professionally, um, embracing my flaws, scars, and awkwardness, I figured that it was important to create a map for other human beings because we are all flawed and imperfect and delightful and fantastic. Um, and that that's actually, uh, those are the places where real innovations and art and uh, solutions lie. So, you know, that I wanted to write a, a map and show people that, hey, there are fellow creative trespassers out there Perhaps we didn't have a name. Now we do. And now we are forced to be reckoned with. I um, have realized, uh, of course, in hindsight, that I've spent most of my life trying to fit in. So when do we stop doing that? Gosh, I hope I hope the moment that we realize that we're trying to fit into to systems or work cultures or cultures um, that aren't valuing all of our weirdness, that those are the times to stop fitting in and embrace our outsiderness. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, honestly, I come from a, a long line of outsiders, uh, too, and that's my, my DNA. And I thought my birthright was the worst birthright ever, which was to not fit in. And that's all I wanted to do as a kid. And, and then in the professional realm, I just wanted, you know, I was hired in a marketing department and I just wanted to market. Uh, but I had these crazy ideas that led to, to campaigns that were unconventional and actually, um, worked for the company. And so the way I've learned to embrace my outsiderness and find the value in it is when um, I've, I've proven that it is more valuable to see things objectively uh, as an outsider and that there are many people who feel actually stuck in their day-to-day -day jobs because they haven't quite yet figured out how to see what they're doing, how to see the mundane or their everyday rituals and tasks as something new and exciting. And so that's part of why I decided to write Creative Trespassing, uh, to offer exercises and ways for finding, you know, the, or and refreshing or reinvigorating 
these things that we've come to think of as as boring or we're just stuck or blame other people for our situation, uh, in fact, are rife with opportunities um, to be creative. And I'm sure you get this. And so I'm just going to toss this up here for you to like kick it right out of the park. But, <laughs> um, you know, you work in an art gallery, you work in marketing, you're a designer, like those are creative people. But what if I'm an insurance actuary? You know, how am I going to be a creative trespasser? I mean, we don't do that here. Yeah. And and first of all, I have to say there are plenty of people who work in, in quote unquote, uh, creative jobs or in quote unquote, uh, creative industries who, who do not feel or in the day to day are doing anything that is wildly creative. And, you know, so I think I know that in, you know, that we can be uniquely creative whether or not we're in a creative field. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing I go to all the time and when I work with clients, you know, I, I give them the power of the what if question. And you probably know this and practice this, John. But, you know, as as a trained uh, playwright and somebody who comes from theater, our, our job is to ask what if questions. You know, what if and, and basically in doing that, what we're asking is what is possible or probable um, or, or, or crazy outlandish or unbelievable that doesn't exist in this moment? What's a solution we haven't tried? And and, and isn't true. And um, to really brainstorm, well, what if instead of having a marketing campaign on the internet, we had it on the moon? And what if we actually got an astronaut to help us launch the campaign? And what if, and in asking all of these outlandish questions, we'll actually land on a solution and ideas that are that are new and will actually solve the problem. So I think the people who are stuck, whether or not you're you know an accountant, hey, if you're an accountant and you can't uh, you can't figure out your budget, it doesn't you can't reconcile your budget. You got to be creative. You have to ask, what if it, I, I lost my receipt on the way to lunch yesterday? You know, instead of looking at the numbers and trying to solve a math problem, uh, try to think of the whole context and ask what if questions. Oh, that's just crazy talk. Um, <laughs> all right. So you already mentioned that you've you, you spent some time in the theater. I've seen you perform. You could do stand up for a living. Um, so, I mean, what if it's just not my DNA? I, I'm giving you like really, you know, yeah, no, like, silly, silly objections here. But I, I'm just yeah. I'm just hearing people go. That's easy for you. Yeah. So a, a couple of things. One, every time I speak and, you know, that's what I do for, for a living predominantly is, is public speaking. There's at least one person who raises their hands and says, I'm not creative, you know. And so the really the, the basic definition of creativity is using your imagination to solve a problem or come up with something new. Right. So I, I, I kick it back to you, John, and say, hey, Mr. E Devil's Advocate, who's not creative. Do you ever imagine uh, or use your imagination to come up with something new, whether that's to add an item to your shopping list list or uh, come up with Q4 goals? Do you, you know, do you ever use your imagination to come up with something new or solve a problem? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. And, you know, a lot of a lot of the the um, exercises in creative trespassing aren't just like weird dictums to be a wild creative. They're actually ways to increase your creative confidence. So, for example, if you feel uncomfortable practicing using your imagination, um, there's an exercise that I call the I rock files. 
which you remember the Rockford Files? You're old enough, John. <laughs> John, do you remember? Do I sound that old? What, what, what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I am but, old know, enough. I am old enough. Yes, you're right. Okay, okay. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the I Rock Files are basically something that I came up with because there were so many high level, super smart people that I was coaching who didn't believe that they were smart or creative or wildly innovative. And I said, well, why don't you get outside of yourself and find and gather evidence that proves that you are and start a file that says I rock file. It can be a physical file. It can be an online folder, but evidence that you've gathered that points to the fact that you are awesome, that you are creative. When people like customers send you a note that says, oh my gosh, I never thought to solve the problem like that. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Or, you know, your boss saying you exceeded your Q4 goals. Good job. And go to that because a lot of the times that we're feeling like we can't do something, we're the first barrier to entry. We're the ones who stop ourselves from doing it. And this is actually called limiting beliefs. Something, you know, these beliefs that we hold that we can't do something or we we aren't something. I'm not creative. I don't deserve a raise. I'm not good enough to X, Y, and Z. And those are just constructed thoughts um, that we've come up with so that we don't actually have to fulfill our dreams, desires, or goals in life. I actually yeah. had some teachers that reinforced those thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I had those teachers too. Uh, yeah. Mr. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, you know, our, our society is sort of banking on us not for fulfilling our, our dreams, goals, and, and desires, and us staying in, in our own way. But you know that anybody who's ever done something major in the world, and by major, I sometimes mean just, just getting up and feeling good about who you are and how you are in the world. Everything from that to starting uh, you know, a, a creative revolution. They've all started with uh, approaching uh, a limit with uh, an option. Like, I'm going to tunnel under it. I'm going to jump over it. I'm going to dissolve it or hug it and embrace it and um, make it go away so that I can I can do something new in the world. You have written about and I've seen you speak about your battle with cancer. Um, what, did, what do you think, in hindsight, that's done for you? That's done for me? Uh, that, that challenge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, surely I'm just guessing. I don't have any <laughs> yeah, experience. Yeah. I'm just guessing yeah. that that made you mentally tougher and all the things mm. that we think it might have done. Well, you know what, John, one thing that you saw that, that your listeners didn't see when I, when I gave the talk at, at the world Dom domination summit was, you know, yes, I, I was diagnosed with breast cancer twice and, and each time I had a mastectomy, which left me with two scars and I went through chemotherapy and all of this kind of stuff. And, uh, in order to endure that, you know, uh, that diagnosis and I'm statistically speaking, many of your listeners have either endured, uh, cancer personally or, or gone through it with a family friend or, or a friend or whatever, or a colleague. And um, it's not that it made me tough. It made me question my mortality. And then it made me uh, embrace my body that was filled with scars. Again, I had two mastectomy scars. I did not get reconstructive surgery. And, and you know, I, I started questioning, like, what does it mean to be a healthy body in a different form, right? You know, here I am a, a woman in, in our society, and my breasts are gone. And what does that mean? And so in, in questioning all of those things, you know, what I ended up doing was running a, a topless uh, 10K for breast cancer awareness, and, um, and I didn't do it to, to 
cause a spectacle or anything like that. But I, I did it because I realized that um, there is a disconnect in, you know, uh, who we are and what we do in the world. Um, and there's a disconnect, you know, as I go into to different companies uh, across the globe and and consult and give them creative strategies for moving forward, there's often a disconnect between the mission or the vision of the company and then the on-the-ground realities. And so in having breast cancer, I realized, well, I'm actually healthy now. You know, I don't have cancer anymore. I've gone through chemotherapy. I have this body. It's scarred. It's weird. It's little, and it's mine. And so I would go to all these, you know, races uh, for for breast cancer, and I didn't see anybody else with scars exposed. And I thought, that's weird. We're all here for the same reason. We're all here to celebrate um, the life of somebody who has endured or or lost, you know, lost their life, you know, as a result of breast cancer or cancer. And so how do I show that you can be a healthy body in a different form? And so anyway, I started running these topless races and um, to mixed reviews, you know, they were very scary for me to be to take off my shirt and run topless in a sea of thousands of runners. Uh, but what they did was they allowed me to feel more comfortable and confident in my weird and new body. And um, also to show a connection between why we were there and who we are. And that was really important for me. So that's what what having breast cancer kind of uh, helped me to realize is that, you know, we are connected to everything we do and every place we occupied, whether we we show that or not. And that's actually helped me in my professional life and, and my vocation with, again, working with companies and people who think that they're connected to the mission of their of their company and then find themselves not. Um, you know, I've worked in museums where we've sold art and yet we did not work in a very artful way <laughs> to sell it. So, yeah, I think that was the big lesson there. Everyone loves payday, but loving a payroll provider, that's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal. It's modern. You might fall in love yourself. Hey, and as a listener, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. So try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash tape. That's gusto.com. Dot com slash tape. One of the things that it seems to me um, is yeah. that in order to really, I mean, to ask a question like, what if we did this on the moon, uh, requires a level of vulnerability that very few people can walk around with. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, that's in a lot of ways, you know, I don't know you that well, but in seeing you speak and, and reading your work, I feel like you've embraced a level of vulnerability that that now turns around and comes out of strength and power. Mm, well, thank you. And, you know, to, to that point, it, it's funny the to ask the what if, yes, we need vulnerability. And it, a good way to find that is to convene a diverse group of human beings to solve problems, you know, and, and this is something I actually learned from my time working in, in uh, for a software company, which is something called agile methodology. Anyway, long story short, um, there, the, within an agile way of, of making software, you have to invite uh, people from diverse departments in to help you solve the problem. And so when you do that, 
everybody's vulnerable because nobody feels like they're an expert, which is fantastic. They might be an expert in their own area, but then they're trying to find ways to connect with their peers, um, find common ground. And so I would say that that kind of vulnerability comes when people feel like they're less of a, an expert among other experts in their specific field. And we bust open those silos and invite diverse people and thinking in to address and solve problems. Um, so yeah, I think vulnerability comes and I, this is what I do in my, in my personal and professional life. I put myself constantly in situations where I feel uncomfortable, where I feel like I don't belong, where I feel like I might be an expert in creativity, but all of these people are experts in marketing. What the hell am I doing here? And then find ways to connect. That's those are the, to me, that's what it means to be alive is to disrupt, you know, it's to disrupt uh, situations that feel comfortable and and challenge myself to find ways to connect across divides. So does every business need a you? You know, it's like, let's bring in the, you know, the freak and, you know, have that person participate, you know, or is yeah. it really more about we need a culture that just embraces diversity of thought? Both. I think that so it's some some companies definitely need a shot in the arm and it's sometimes easiest to hear those things from an outsider, from a consultant or a coach, to even if you've been saying it to your colleague this whole time, like, you know what, you guys, we call we say that we champion innovation, but we have not done any sort of innovative exercises or, you know, or or lunch and learns in 10 years. And so sometimes it's it's easier. Uh, a lot of companies will bring me or people like me in um, during lunch and learns, or they'll have speaking series and things like this, or as a consultant. However, there are plenty of me's that exist underneath the company's noses. So it is about creating and um, and nurturing a culture of creativity, um, which doesn't mean that people need to identify as an artist or a writer or a musician. It does mean that those people who are in positions of power need to create situations where um, people can express themselves, have brainstorming breaks, um, have, you know, have and engage in play or in rituals that aren't typical so that we get unstuck from the patterns and habits that are keeping us stuck. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's championing and also engaging, uh, people in, in play in creative exercises and, um, and doing that with regularity. I mean, you know, this is, again, I, I get brought in a lot of times as a consultant because everybody says we, we champion creativity and innovation. And the first thing to go when they don't have time, when they feel like, it, you know, it's the last thing on the to-do list is the most important part of their business, which, especially if you're a tech company is innovation and you can't have innovation without having creativity or in, or play you just can't so creative trespassing is filled with exercises um, that you know you use i'm assuming in your work and do, do, do you want to share maybe one of your favorite ones as an example of you know what somebody might do or experience if they were trying to break out a little yeah two, well two things come to mind so that's how i roll i'm just going to shout out with two of them. One is a super, uh, super simple exercise. And it literally is to look around and see what problems your company is not looking to solve. And then gather a group of diverse human beings, diverse in background, in mindsets, in departments, in title, and brainstorm all the ways in which you can solve that problem that no one is looking to solve. And if you're feeling really 
gutsy, you know, raise your hand at the all hands meeting and share your ideas for solving this problem. I mean, that was, and that exercise developed after, you know, um, I was working at a tech company and, you know, a boss of mine said, Hey, you know, we want to kind of solve the problem of women in technology or the lack thereof. And they were tech companies selling project management software. Like we didn't need to solve the problem of women in the tech, I mean, tech sector. That was important. That didn't, you know, affect our ROI. And yet we set out to solve that problem. We didn't solve it, but we came up with a marketing campaign that went around the world. So the point is, is that in looking to solve something that nobody else was looking to solve, we came up with an awesome idea that resonated uh, around the globe. So that was a really cool thing. Can and I, then the can, second, can uh, I interrupt yeah. you before the second one? Only because I want to finish. Yeah. I want you to finish with that that thought. Yeah, it, yeah. it was never addressed. It's probably a story that you get a little tired of telling. Maybe not uh, because you've told it so many times. But I will have it in the show notes. Um, and and I really I don't know if you want to just give us two seconds on what. Because you alluded to the campaign, I know. Yeah, can, totally. No, talking. no, I never get. No, it's it's really the the beautiful thing actually about writing my book was that I got to write about the process behind coming up with the idea because people see it was never addressed. Which is, you know, if you uh, in your mind's eye, listeners, please see the women's bathroom symbol. See her little round head and triangle dress. Okay, you know her, right? You've seen her. Maybe maybe some listeners have seen her several times today because, <laughs> you know, they had to pee-pee. Um, but anyway, so the the we kind of reimagined the symbol. So let's say you're looking at her in the front and she's wearing a dress. But what if we turned her around and she was wearing a cape? So we were looking at her the wrong way this whole time. We were looking at her back and in front she's wearing a cape. And so this shift in consciousness and, um, and this visual, this visual that we'd seen that became mundane that we hadn't thought of now becomes this radical and exciting symbol, uh, for seeing women as more than just wearing a dress, that there were visual options for women being in the world, in the workforce. And, you know, it went viral as the kids say. So we put out this, this image, uh, and, it went around, you know, we received for marketing people who are listening, we received 20 million organic impressions within the first 24 hours of putting that out there. And this was in 2015. So, um, the, no, the exciting part, John, the, the part that actually never, never gets dull to talk about is the fact that because um, it was embraced by so many people so quickly that the, the people made it their own. It wasn't important. Only now I get to write about it and share stories about it, um, like sort of behind the scenes, how it came to be. Um, but the beauty of it is, is that it became everyone's. It didn't become ours, this like little software company who came up with this weird idea. It became the young woman at TSA who, when she saw my sticker said, Oh my gosh, I love it. I gave this to my cousin and we totally were superheroes and we feel so empowered. You know, it's, it's my friend's aunt in the Midwest who never gives a shit about anything online and saw this symbol and said, Oh my gosh, now when I go to work, I feel like I belong there. So that's the coolest part about the, it was never dress campaign is that it became bigger than our, our idea it became and belongs to everyone i'm a few i'm sure there are a few um bathroom symbols around the world that have been vandalized as well <laughs> yes i take no responsibility for that <laughs> oh well you put out the 
Tagger's guide to. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I cut you off, and and you were going to give me the second exercise. Oh, the second exercise that comes to mind because of your devil's advocate uh, advocating earlier, when you were like, "Well, what if I don't fancy myself creative? Can I still be a creative trespasser?" Uh, this exercise allows everyone to be a creative trespasser, which is called the official unofficial award. So you know how many times, especially in work culture, it's like you you um, have to earn employee of the month or you have to wait around for some other like an annual review to get a raise. Like we're only awarded one time a year, maybe if we're lucky. And some people never get awarded. And yet they're doing so many cool things behind the scenes. So give your colleague, your friend, your family member an official unofficial award. You know what I'm saying? You can write it down on a piece of paper. You can change their screensaver when they're not looking. Somebody could be like the inclusionary visionary award because you bring people to meetings that are unexpected and amazing or the you make meetings fun award or whatever. And in fact, I'm going to I'm going to launch unofficial unofficial creative trespasser award. So this is going to happen. I'm going to do it on social media because it's so easy to see and celebrate those around us who don't often get seen or celebrated for the amazing things they're doing every single day to make us feel more alive, more engaged, and just more human. So there. I'm speaking with Tanya Katan, the author of Creative trespassing and i think we're doing a little creative trespassing today i hope for listeners uh tanya where can people find out more about you your work and your book sure they can go to tanyakatan.com and that's tanya t-a-n-i-a-k-a-t-a-n.com and then you can follow me on instagram where i'm the unreal tanya katan that's right the unreal tanya katan because when I went to sign up for Instagram, there was a Tanya Katan already, and she was a mom of two. And I didn't want to say I'm the real Tanya Katan and make her children go to therapy at an early age. I decided to give her that moniker, and I became the unreal Tanya Katan. Awesome. Tanya, it was so great visiting with you, and uh, hopefully we'll run into you again out there on the road. John, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Take care. Take care.